This episode is sponsored by the IoT Job Site, the world's only dedicated space for applying for and advertising IoT vacancies across the world. Register now for job alerts or get in touch via Let's Talk at the IoTJobSite.com. Welcome to the IoT Podcast Show. I'm your host, Tom White. Before we get into it today, please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Your support really helps us, and we appreciate it. Today, we are joined by Dean Nelson. Dean is the CEO of Virtual Power Systems and the founder and chairman of the trade group Infrastructure Masons. Dean, welcome to the IoT Podcast Show. Thanks for having me on, Tom. You're very welcome. Um, For some of our listeners, Dean is a strategic advisor uh, to the Autonomy Institute that you may have remembered came on with Jeffrey Deku and also partnered with EdgeX. um, That was a a, a free person uh, podcast that we had on in the past and James Thomason uh, through Dean's other business, VPS, which is Virtual Power Systems, uh, which is looking to... Uh, harness and, and enable to, to connectivity when it comes to power to uh, the internet of things. We've been waiting to have Dean on the show and very much looking forward to, to him talking a little bit more about his role there, a bit more about VPS and digital infrastructure as a whole. Um, Dean, just to jump straight into it, can you talk a little bit about your background then in building digital infrastructure portfolios and, and how it is you came into this industry? Yeah. Uh, I've been doing this for 31 years. It kind of blows my mind that it's been that long. I feel old now. Um, I, I actually started at Sun Microsystems. I don't know if you remember them back in the day. I do. Um, uh, on my 21st birthday. Oh, wow. Okay. And I started on the manufacturing line. I did a, uh, I did 17 years at that company. I, I, I feel like I went to the University of Sun. And uh, two different stints. I went to a startup in the middle called the Lego Networks. Uh, three years right in the middle of the uh, dot-com bubble burst. And uh, had a lot of fun there. Um, then I came back to eBay, right? So that was the second stint. Uh, and then I left uh, when Oracle acquired them. And uh, I did a ton of stuff within with, uh, within Sun. I had a, uh, started in manufacturing, went to engineering, IT, and then ending in real estate, which is always everyone kind of wonders, how does that work? Well, the real estate team owned the actual uh, dollars. And so, and the portfolio. And so we were able to drive a multi-billion dollar, you know, consolidation project globally in data centers and edge infrastructure, even back then. So it was a, it was a really cool experience. Uh, then I went to eBay. I spent seven years there uh, doing global foundation services. So think of everything uh, at the operating system down. Data centers, hardware, and network, right? The supply chain orchestration of the actual budget, um, planning, all those types of things. And so we really built kind of metal as a service at eBay uh, for eBay's um, portfolio of companies because that was PayPal, StubHub, etc. all the different other different entities that they acquired over the years. And then um, uh, did the split of eBay and PayPal, which was which was very fun. And then uh, left and went to I took a six month uh, break uh, and went to help my daughter find colleges, <laughs> which is really neat in the middle. And then I joined Uber and did that rocket ship for three years. Um, and incredible. We should talk about that too. But then I uh, left and started doing a strategic advisory work. That's where I got to connect back in with uh, the Autonomy Institute, with EdgeX, et cetera, and also with Virtual Power Systems, which I'm now the CEO of. And I had stepped into the board, started looking at the opportunity, and realized that this is just such an untapped element within the digital infrastructure space. It's the next step. We have to bring software defined to data centers, 
yeah. which software yeah. is just not part of uh, the core data centers when it comes down to um, how, I guess, just the mentality of it is very physical in data centers. And so being able to have a logical mm -hmm. software solution that orchestrates things is a little foreign. And that's what we're bringing to it is we're unlocking stranded capacity inside of data centers. And the other side of this is that we're doing this uh, both at the core, data centers, and at the edge. And everything is about right. how do you orchestrate the elements to make sure that you've got um, the maximum amount of utilization out of that capacity you're building. And especially at the edge, it starts to get expensive. It also is many, many more times bigger than it comes down to the amount of locations. And, you know, the numbers, of course, you've heard on the other, the other streams and things here, the fact that we're going to get to over 130 billion things by 2028 is what I understand. There's going to be a trillion sensors behind them. And then half the data that's generated uh, and consumed is going to be at the edge and dropped at the edge. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's just mm -hmm. this massive amount of stuff coming out. Well, uh, the orchestration becomes even more important. So think back before we had virtualization, right? Dedicated servers, dedicated network, dedicated storage. Well, we have dedicated power in data centers today. And that's what we're actually orchestrating now is, is to treat it like another asset that can be flexible and can be optimized. So that's a quick summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. Thank, no, thank you so much. It's a it's a great summary, and I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, it, you know, the, the software element of this when you when you talk about data centers is, is often overlooked and, and and just something that has kind of been put on the back burner. Um, for 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 our listeners um, who maybe aren't that akin with digital infrastructure, you know, why why does digital infrastructure matter? And what is driving this demand? And, 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 and has, has COVID also accelerated this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this is, I have a 23-year-old daughter, right? And she streams on Twitch. She does a whole bunch of entertainment stuff. Like, she's, she's all in it. And she's been around me for years talking about digital infrastructure, data centers, hardware, network, all the elements that make up that foundation. And um, so she understands a little bit more. But uh, even, even her, you don't really realize the dependency you have on digital infrastructure. Literally almost every person on the planet, how you pay for things, how you buy things, right? how you schedule transportation. I mean, everything in your day, just think about when you touch digital infrastructure. It's whenever you pick up that phone or any other device to do something that's connected on a network goes through digital infrastructure. So I'll give you a few numbers on this. Today there are seven million data centers, okay? They consume between 35 to 50 gigawatts of power. It's about 2% wow. of the global grid today, okay? There's, last year, we generated 64 zettabytes of data. Now, a zettabyte, it's just it's a little unfathomable uh, when it comes down to the amount of zeros at the end of that number, okay? Many, many but zeros. <laughs> lots of, I forgot what total, but it's like 26 or something. And yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. Um, but, but this, we're going to be doing 225 zettabytes a year, by 2025 okay that there's a massive amount of data that's being generated and all that data needs to be processed in some way and whatever what i said earlier you know we have we've got 130 uh, coming up to 130 billion things in the next seven years things so that's your devices everything from the phone to the stuff that's at your house all those things are going to be connected to the internet and then behind them there, there's a trillion sensors all of those are generating data, even though the little bitty sensors all the way down to the grain of a sand for RFID, 
Like those sensors are going to generate data that needs to be processed in some way. And then when you think of things like 5G, you know, it's the big buzzword everybody talks about, but there really is a transformational thing that's going to happen with 5G. And that is that today we've got a one lane freeway. Okay, that one lane freeway allows you to get a certain amount of, of distance traveled at a certain speed. 5G takes that and says, I can now have 100 lanes. So from a bandwidth standpoint, I suddenly have increased it 100 fold. And then it is 10 times faster. That means I can go from, right, from California to New York 10 times faster because latency is reduced. Okay, and then there's also 10 times the amount of concurrently connected devices. So those three factors suddenly lead to this massive increase in data generation, data processing, right? Data consumption. A hundred percent. And and it's such an articulate way of saying it, you know, uh, the, the, the sheer volume is unfavorable, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. Compared to where we've been to where we're going. And I think mm -hmm. you, you know, given your 31 years in, in, in this industry, uh, you know, you're, you're a prime person to be talking about this. Um, and, uh, you know, the, with the advent of 5G, you know, people are talking about, you know, potential 6G coming out as well. It's just like, how are we going to, how are we going to manage this? How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to put the infrastructure in place? And I think that's really, really critical. And, that, and that's hopefully what we're going to get right into in this podcast. Um, mm -hmm. to, to going back to your career, and so throughout your 30 year career, you, you've driven, what is it, something like over 10 billion infrastructure projects across three different continents. Uh, absolutely huge. Um, can you talk about a couple of those for us, Dean? Yeah, I mean, it sounds huge, but what's funny is um, I, I'm dwarfed by, you know, a lot of my peers in the industry. You put zeros on the end of those numbers. So Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, like you think about the infrastructure that's rolled out to do companies like that and the individuals mm. that are actually um, leading those things. So I, I'm, I, you know, I'm proud of, of driving $10 billion worth of projects across the world. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's interesting because you think about it, the bulk of them are at three companies. So I did probably $2 billion worth of stuff at, uh, at Sun. Okay. So the, it's like the first 20 years was $2 billion, right? <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, I did about, I think three, you know, five plus billion dollars at, at eBay. Cause we build out data centers, you know, hardware all over the place, mm -hmm. networks, just, you think of all the reoccurring expenses that happen. Okay, and so whether it's capital, OPEX, et cetera, that's where, where that was coming from. And then I did about $3 billion worth of stuff over at, at Uber and within three years. So we're spending tons and tons of money to go back and build out to keep ahead of the demand. That was the key. Mm -hmm. It was all about making sure you had the infrastructure in the right place. And I had a lot of um, really cool uh, projects over the years. And, and look, for, for me, I've been a tinkerer my entire life, you know, so I was the, the kid that cut off the plug in the actual uh, light you know on the lamp and wired it into a radio from a car and plugged it into the wall and it blew up and lit on fire and things you know and I was like <laughs> what the how did that happen you know um, so I've been doing that a long time and so I, I try to take a lot of uh, these projects and think about are we are we making assumptions and limiting ourselves mm. and so a few of the really fun projects we did uh, at eBay was we did uh, modular data centers on the roof in Phoenix and we got the the most efficient uh, deployments in the world at that point. We had megawatt containers that are getting PUEs, and these are, it's power usage effectiveness. It's basically how much power is used to do the compute to the actual work and how much is used for everything else. And we had PUEs of 1.018. Yeah. 
which is like 98% of the power is going to the compute to do useful work and the rest of it, right? Extremely efficient. And it's 120 Fahrenheit outside, Fahrenheit outside and we're using outside air to do it. How did you achieve that? Uh, this is uh, taking a systems philosophy. So we basically would bring all the teams together, the compute, the actual facilities elements of it, and then the software orchestration to make sure that it runs as a system. So I've got the workload, I've got the inlet temps, I've got the, the fans, I've got all the elements that are now balancing. And so we could take outside air at 120 Fahrenheit, we could use adiabatic cooling to basically evaporate the heat away because it's a dry environment in Arizona. And then we would bring 83 degrees Fahrenheit into the inlet of the servers. We'd have a 40 degree, degree delta T. And so the exit temperature right, was fine, but the equipment's already built for this. So we just tuned it like mm. an ecosystem. And then you get maximum efficiency out of it. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's incredible, some of those stories about the efficiency and, 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 and the size right, of data centers. I mean, for, 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 for me and for other people around, we, you know, we've heard stories about data centers ended up in various locations, right? You know, people dropping mm -hmm. them in the ocean, etc. Um, yeah. could, you, could you explain why that is? Is it just purely a space thing? Is it a cooling? What's, what's the idea behind mm. some of these weird and wacky places that we're seeing data centers popping up right now? So I'm going to give you three, three different categories on that one. First is that you've got um, the core uh, that is built, and that is all around fiber. So think about um, just like the electrical infrastructure, you've got generation and distribution of that electrical infrastructure. Uh, the network is very similar. So I need to make sure I've got my hubs, these carrier hotels where everything terminates. So one Wilshire, 60 Hudson, like you, you know exactly where these big hubs of the internet are around the world. And from there, they all go out, all these fiber connections go out to all these different locations. So people tap into that infrastructure. So there are, when you talk about the information superhighway, it literally is the fiber paths. And that's along the railroads, yeah, that's along okay. the electrical lines, it's, you know, they're trenched all over the place. Et cetera. Mm -hmm. And even freeways. So they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're basically connecting everything that way. So from a core standpoint, the um, people select data center locations based on the concentration of network, right? Available power, cheap power, tax incentives, like there's a whole selection from that. So that's the first category. The second is that we've got um, these, uh, I guess, they're changing now from an edge standpoint. The carrier hotels are really, really critical, but there's new technology, CBRS, right, that is gonna come out and now circumvent even that. People are gonna be able to have their own private 5G, right, networks. They're gonna be able to now route around those elements when it comes down to how that's done. And so that means that now you can have data centers everywhere. The Edge, the Autonomy Institute, where we're talking about pins, the public infrastructure network nodes are gonna be in every street corner. So all of that is gonna now push the compute and storage and other elements closer and closer to the user. And that user and the machines are gonna actually be able to do things extremely fast. Hence the 5G, 10 times faster, 100 more lanes, right? Uh, more bandwidth, those types of things. So that changes that behavior. Then you think about the third category, which is the really disruptive stuff. And this is like what Microsoft and, and um, you know, even, even SpaceX and others are doing. They're, cha they're challenging the way things are done. So you, you heard those uh, submarine data centers that Microsoft mm -hmm. put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're just looking for different ways because you can land those in the ocean. You're tapping into fiber because the subsea cables are everywhere. That's one of the most fascinating things. If people want to look at kind of behind the curtain, go just search subsea on YouTube and watch 
They're basically big, long, tethered fiber cables, bundles of these things under every ocean connecting every continent, right? Right at the, at the, the edge on the beach into these landing stations. And that goes back to the core data centers, et cetera. So, so that's one. And then you think about terrestrial today is that way. But now when you think of what's going on with SpaceX and uh, what Jeff Bezos and everybody is doing is now putting lasers in space. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. But you can traverse the globe even faster now because you have no obstructions. You don't have to go over the ether to hit a fiber that goes down and gets a repeater, hits a subsea cable, goes across the ocean, etc. Like you, you literally can just go satellite to satellite, vroom, and you suddenly circumvent all the other elements. I can now go all across the globe very quickly. But also going down, I can now serve areas across the world that don't have connectivity. How do you get across the Sahara? You get a trench across the Sahara? <laughs> Fiber? Like, very, very difficult. So suddenly you start doing it the other direction. So that's what I mean. The third category yeah. are the people that are rethinking what the future is going to look like when it comes down to how connectivity is done, how compute is done, right? Processing is going to be done. And so it's a really exciting time in our industry when it comes down to the, the demand and then, of course, the technologies and the innovative thinkers that are going after these things to, to keep ahead of that demand. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? It sounds like modern-day Moonraker, doesn't it, you know, with lasers yeah. in space. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, but, but, I, but I get it, you know. It's, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's an inevitable uh, progressionary point, you know. You, ch you, you challenge what's already been done. How can we make it more efficient? How can we do this? Mm -hmm. And I think the Sahara analogy is a perfect one. I mean, one of the most hostile places on the earth, you know. How how are you going to do that? What what are the possibilities? And of course, that that's the, the simplest yeah. and the one that's known to man right now. Um, yep. You touched upon something there, which I wanted to talk about, Dean, which was obviously the uh, Public Infrastructure Network Node Initiative PIN, right? Mm -hmm. So at yeah. the start of the episode, um, we had EdgeX and uh, the Autonomous Institute on uh, fairly recently. Um, can we mm -hmm. touch on that a little bit more? So so how can we innovate and enable? Uh, sustainable intelligent communities like PIN and drive mm. these initiatives to the forefront, right? Because I think this is a really important thing to talk about. Um, and, uh, you know, the guys are talking about it a little bit more, but I'm interested to know from your perspective and that of VPS as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, all right, let me, let me see how I can break this down. We, so a public infrastructure network node is meant to get compute and sensors closer to the users. And so, uh, you know, think of it as a light pole, that, that base station that's got mm. compute in it. So number of servers, it's up to 20 kilowatts worth of compute power uh, within that base. And then you've got the mast, and that mast has got all the different sensors, 5G, LiDAR, radar, weather, all types of things that are needed. And it's built to weave itself into the actual landscape. Because right now, uh, the technology blight of the 5G towers and everything else, and needing, by the way, 10 times more towers to provide 5G capabilities, people are not going to want that in their neighborhood. So this pin infrastructure, mm. I think, is really critical for multiple reasons. So we start rolling those back out. They go and land on every street corner. They can literally be the, like, you won't notice that they're there, right? They're woven in. Then that allows you to say every street corner's got these things. Then they connect to these vaults, and those vaults are going to be energy storage, interconnectivity, electricity, water, other things that are needed, and they're going to serve multiple pins, just like you have kind of core data centers that are serving multiple locations. So um, 
Then you also have EV charging stations that are going to be going all over. So the Biden administration's push on um, investing in electrical infrastructure to be able to support um, electric vehicles in the future. Well, all of those things need to be orchestrated. Okay, and if you think about today, our grid is fragile. So we spend hundreds of billions of dollars right now putting in backup systems for the grid in data centers. Hundreds of billions of dollars, and I'm not exaggerating. And the reason is that if the, if the power goes out and the data center goes down, digital infrastructure stops. So we've now created software that allows us to be more resilient so we can now build less resilient data centers. So in other words, if a data center goes down, another one can pick it up. But no matter what, you have state information from a data standpoint. It's not going to solve everything. So you, you need to make sure that you can orchestrate to allow yourself to prioritize workload so that I can bring down the things and shed load, throttle as I need, in the event of a power constraint, right, or uh, outage or something else like that. And so being able to now orchestrate those things is what VPS is doing. So that's what we're working with the Autonomy Institute and EdgeX uh, to be able to now create this environment where we can make every one of those components fail. They can be failure zones. Every pin can go down mm. because you've got hundreds and hundreds of pins across every city. Right? Every city is going to have these things on every street corner. So think about what New York would look like. Think about L.A. Mm. There's so many of these things that are going to be out there. They're going to provide resiliency across each other. But somebody's got to orchestrate that resiliency. So EdgeX is going to be the platform that actually does all that compute orchestration. Then you've got VPS, which is going to be the power orchestration. So whether it's the source of energy, whether it's the storage of energy in the vaults, whether it's the balancing with other people using it, like EV charging stations, to the compute prioritization, to the actual sensor prioritization. If we have a disaster, last thing you want is 5G to go down because the emergency services need a network. So how do you shut everything else down to just keep that up and the compute supporting it? So prioritization of the compute to ensure that you've got the right services up for the period of time when you need them. That means everything else needs to be shut down and throttled. So we do power orchestration when it comes down to prioritization of the load itself. So we've got X amount of source, X amount of storage, X amount of demand, and we can now say the prioritization of that demand will ensure that those priority loads are always going to be up. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it, it's a scale of all of this theme, which I think is is tremendous, and which is hard to get your head around. You know, just the the sheer volume, the infrastructure required. Um, it's just it's so breathtaking. I mean, one of the one <laughs> of the things that I'm I, I, one of the things that I'm curious on, and I'm sure some some people are that, that are listening to this episode right now is is the limits, right? You know, what what limits are there to this autonomous digital infrastructure? How how far can it go? One of the challenges we've got right now is that uh, you know there's a there's a stigma or I guess misinformation about you know digital infrastructure is killing the planet. We hear this a lot, right? And it's like, oh my God, you're consuming all this, these resources, whether it's energy and water, et cetera. Um, but it is the core of how the world works. And if you think about it, there's two billion people that are gonna be coming online in the next three years. Two billion people. And they don't have connectivity, they don't have, like think about that, that wave of people coming in to suddenly be introduced to the world via 
internet connectivity. Remember the satellites we're talking about? Suddenly, Sub-Saharan Africa, all the way down to LATAM, to any other place that's really difficult to, to actually get connectivity to, suddenly is going to have high bandwidth connectivity, and it's going to change their lives. Access to everything is going to suddenly happen. And so um, we need digital infrastructure to survive. The planet does. Mm. We need to do it in a sustainable way. And so at Infrastructure Masons, you know, we, we're a professional association of individuals that were uniting the builders of the digital age. And that's why at the beginning I said, I, I'm honored to be hanging out with people that have zeros on the end of their portfolio, <laughs> right? They've been driving like $100 billion worth of projects around there. And you think about the scale that they're going at. These are the big players, right? The biggest tech companies in the world are thinking about this problem on both sides of that. We have to build out this infrastructure because the pandemic showed, first off, we were exposed when it came down to everybody assumed you had to be in the office and all of a sudden we, had, we were not in the office and digital infrastructure was the, the only way that the world kept going. Whether it's ordering you know, uh, groceries to running a Zoom call to anything else, like all of it was going over this digital infrastructure and then it grew like mad. Right that year, we were supposed to have 44 zettabytes generated last year. We had 64 zettabytes generated in 2020. Okay, so we were supposed to have 175 zettabytes generated every year by 2025. We're now going to have 225 zettabytes, and I think it's going to get even bigger. And that's because everybody has realized that the infrastructure that we've got here is the way that things work. And so, um, so that's one side is we need it. The second one is it's going to grow. So we're 2% of the global draw today. For example, again, there's 7 million data centers, right? They draw about 480 terawatt hours of power globally, which ends up working out to be between 2 to 3% of the global energy draw today. This is everything that is outside of the demarcation point here is that when a bit comes into the Internet and everything it takes to process that bit, okay? Mm bidirectional everything else anything inside of there is what is digital infrastructure which is pretty much every device out there that is not going to be a thing or a person or an edge router that's in your house all those pieces are going to start to now come together that um that the demand is going to increase so the first one is we need it the second is we need to do it in a sustainable way and so that's where these big companies and big thinkers are looking at the ways that you can do this as a system so, for example, um, there's a lady named uh, Noelle Walsh. She runs all the infrastructure, um, right, cloud and everything at, um, at Microsoft. And we had this uh, iMasons event where we were talking about um, the pandemic and what they were doing. And this is one month in. And she said, uh, we, we had an unprecedented number we crossed. They turned up 100 megawatts of infrastructure in two weeks. Wow. And I... I, it, I mean, literally all of us paused, like 100 megawatts in two weeks. How do you even do that? So that was across their portfolio, turning up the data centers they've been building in, commissioning and lighting them up to actually uh, the capacity from all their partners, turning up more capacity and rolling out. They had that much capacity turned up that fast. So Jeez. the world needs it, and we have to do it sustainably. My final question to you today, because we've covered so much here, um, 
is, is, is what's next? And, 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 and clearly the obvious answer is more data centers, more power, more <laughs> speed, more, you know. But, but aside of that, you know, what should we be looking out for? What sort of initiatives are happening? Because, you know, you're doing some fantastic work yourself. You know, what does the ecosystem look like as a whole here, Dean? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I've touched on a few of them. And uh, the, I think that the number one thing we've got we've to figure out as a society is how we store energy. Because the world doesn't work without power. And that power in, you know, consumption is going to increase. And so how do we make sure that we can have sources of energy that are renewable? And there's plenty of it. If you just capture the sunlight, we could power the planet multiple times over. Just the sun, right? Okay. The problem is we can't store it. So there's going to be huge efforts in energy storage because it's just it's a necessity because everything's going to increase. So energy storage, connectivity itself, and then there's these these other ones of the uh, Microsoft put out this billion dollar pledge and um, and also opened up their patents for sustainable innovation. They have a billion dollar fund that says we're going to help companies help us get to their carbon goals. And so I think there's going to be lots of creative ideas around um, how you do sustainable infrastructure. So, you know, storage is one of them. Carbon capture is another massive one. I think another one that might be a little controversial here is that we need to rethink how we generate energy that's still going to be clean, quote unquote clean. So, mm. Nuclear energy in the past has been based on right, military-grade decisions. So we created plutonium right, and uranium to be able to now create these because there was, it can weaponize them. But thorium and other nuclear ways of generating energy that's not impactful in that way uh, are the new innovations that are coming out. So that's tied to the energy storage, generation and energy storage. And I think the final one here is that um, if you take the next five years, this is the Wild West when it comes down to edge. But, you know, your cities are all going to change. And what I say is that there's a, there's a project called Uber Air that when I was at, at Uber, that was really incredible. The ability to now uh, have these people drones, not just drones as delivering packages and other things, but imagine... My, tr my transport to be able to get from my house in Saratoga, California to San Francisco when I worked at Uber. I had to drive my car to the train station, take an hour ride up to the train station, walk over to the office. So it was two hours door to door each way. I can do that in 15 minutes now when I can say, I go over and jump in an Uber Air and it goes up, over and down in the city. So suddenly you're gonna yeah. be able to now increase the amount of people in a city because of this new transportation that's gonna be extremely efficient, right, and consistent. I, suddenly you can triple the population within right, a city right, during the workday. And then they're all going to go back. So suddenly people can live in remote areas, have good quality of life, and still work in the city. And they don't need to drive cars. That's the dream, isn't it, I suppose, for a lot of people, especially after the pandemic, right? You know, having their own space and, uh, and being out there. Dean, it's, yep. it's been some 
fantastic insights today honestly it's been really eye-opening just the sheer scale of all of this and your passion comes through so clearly uh <laughs> you know no 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 wonder you're you know you're well thought of in this space it's 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 been a real pleasure where can people go out and find a little bit more on on vps a little bit more on the work that you're doing anywhere that they mm-hmm. should look online dean yeah yeah you can take a look at uh virtualpowersystems.com uh, to see what we're doing to uh, disrupt when it comes down to the data center industry, uh, orchestration of power. And then uh, imasons.org. So if you're interested in digital infrastructure, uh, just imasons.org. Um, and you, let's say you're not in this industry, we actually have scholarships we're giving out because we have a talent shortage and we need more people. And this edge and all the growth is, uh, we, we need, there's hundreds of thousands of jobs that are available. And especially during the pandemic right now, being part of digital infrastructure, you can start a new career. So um, go there, check it out, uh, send emails. So uh, dean at imasons.org, happy to, happy to hear any uh, other ideas or, or connect. All right, fantastic. Dean, thank you so much for coming on to the IoT podcast show today. And uh, we'll, speak to you, we'll speak to you in the future, no doubt, in an upcoming episode. Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. If you'd like to find out more about the IoT Podcast Show, as always, subscribe, comment, share, get involved in the discussion. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Your commitment to watching the show and sharing it is really important, and we appreciate every view. Thank you, and until the next time, goodbye.